Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know I've talked with people in every state, plus D.C., from Alaska to Florida, Maine to Hawaii, all points in between, different levels of government. Uh, Some states I've only talked with once, which seems weird, like Virginia. Come on. Uh, And some states I've gotten to go back to to talk to some really great people. And I'm excited because my friend Joseph Jones, who was in a podcast recently with me, he introduced me to a few people like last week's guest, Holly Kim, and this week's guest, uh, Nevada Senator Dallas Harris. And I think we're going to have a really good discussion about uh, what Dallas has done in Nevada and why Nevada is such an interesting place. And hopefully after you've listened to this, why maybe you should run for office. So, uh, Senator Harris, Dallas, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Tony. Pleasure to be here. Now, I'll be honest, the reason I'm calling you Senator Harris is not the formality. It's just that as a Pennsylvanian, um, as a Steelers fan originally, and also an Eagles fan, it's really hard for me to root for Dallas. (laughs) You know, um, about... uh... Three years ago, when I when I got appointed, I used to tell people I was my second favorite Senator Harris because mm-hmm. uh, we still had Kamala at the time. So uh, happy to go by uh, Senator Harris and, and take that name. Um, but feel free to uh, jump on over to America's team when you're ready. Uh, no, I would even rather prefer. I don't even think I would prefer the Raiders even in Nevada. It's like not all my favorite teams there, but. Um, you know, before you become vice president, let's talk about how you became a senator. And and even before that, I always ask people on this, have you always been politically engaged? Has it always been important to you? Or did something kind of spur you um, to become involved? Because I know your education and really came of age um, during the ascendancy of President Obama. But did something else kind of spur you to action? Um, no, you know, politics wasn't naturally my thing. I always liked policy, right? So, Mm -hmm. so this idea of, well, society has a problem. Uh, government has some tools, which tool maybe could government use to adjust the unemployment rate or, uh, you know, help move folks to uh, a cleaner form of, of, uh, electric vehicles, right? Is it is it better to do a, a tax break or a subsidy? You know, I was I was kind of really interested in getting down into the weeds of of government and how how it functions and its relationship with society. Um, and I always thought that I would um, I would be one of those folks who spoke truth to power, right? You know, I'd be that advisor who would who would let the decision maker know, hey, here's the best way to solve this problem. Uh, and then let them go off and deal with all the political ramifications around that recommendation um, or have to, let's say, soften the policy for whatever reason. Um, but uh, as I'm sure has been spoken about quite a bit on, on this podcast, I started to think to myself, well, um, uh, if not me, then who? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I have kind of always been uh, public service minded. I uh, did a lot of work uh, in state government, at nonprofits. Um, and so when an opportunity came to uh, be appointed to this seat, um, it was kind of time for me to look in the mirror and point the finger at myself and say, hey, I, I, I could do this. I could take some of this education that I've gotten around the country and come back and, and serve my state. So that's what it did. 
And I have talked with a few people who, like you, have gone to D.C. and then come back to their area. And the politics are very similar sometimes, but also very different. I talked with Cam Buckner, who's a state representative of Illinois, and he's now running for mayor of Chicago, which I I credit this podcast discussion as doing, the dozen people that listen to that. Um, so, um, but what did you learn from meeting those other people and organizations, uh, particularly in Washington, D.C., that felt like it was valuable experience um, for more local and state politics in Nevada? Yeah, you know what? I think the skill um, that I was kind of able to develop in D.C., uh, that that surprised me the most in its usefulness here in Nevada um, and as a legislature is stakeholder engagement. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I worked at a, a nonprofit and, and um, we worked on telecom issues, but part of that job was coalition building and managing. And, uh, you know, that skill is, 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 it's almost the exact same thing as getting a bunch of stakeholders together and hoarding those cats <laughs> and trying to move forward in, in one direction together. So, um, you know, I think that's something that happens a lot in DC on, on the federal issues, right? Cause there's always a, a billion groups representing a billion interests and they have a lot of practice and in, in uh, lobbying and um, putting their word in on, on legislation that's important to them. So when I'm here in Nevada, thinking about uh, bringing legislation and trying to work out uh, uh, the best policy, it's actually kind of really easy for me to reach out to stakeholders, get a bunch in a, in a room together and almost really be a facilitator mm-hmm. of, of, a, of a conversation um, more than uh, shoving some policy, <laughs> let's say, down down a bunch of folks' throats. Now, I, I was actually just in Harrisburg for not – well, for other reasons – um, and, you know, every state government's different. Nevada is unique in its own way, obviously, as being the only state with majority female legislature, right? That's right. First and only. First and only. I did a TikTok about that recently on Mother's Day, and it's something that really shocked me. Um, I think people don't realize that. But um, before I get to that, what you just said about stakeholders, interest groups, etc., for so many people, that sounds dirty. And I... Um, how, what's your perspective on that? How do you get back to the public and say, no, this is how the government actually is supposed to run and it's not a dirty, bad thing to have these groups necessarily? Yeah, you know, um, you're hitting on something that I, I picked up on around the time I was coming of age in politics. I think there was this really big shift, right? Um, President Obama came into office and uh, he he wanted to make it really clear that he wasn't a fan of the revolving door, um, so to speak. You know, people coming into government and then going out and lobbying for private companies and then coming back into government. Um, and so he put in some um, some pretty new uh, strict rules about about lobbying when you were in the administration. And the term lobbyist in itself kind of got this. I don't know, kind of negative shade thrown on it. And I think that's, that's kind of persisted uh, uh, moving forward, especially after, you know, we heard of some, you know, kind of infamous lobbying scandals on the federal level. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really important for people to understand that while um, companies have paid lobbyists, Legislators spend plenty of time with those non-paid average citizen 
lobbyist as well, or even the paid lobbyist for nonprofits. That's it's less common than than the ones for you know your Exxon's and uh, your Amazons and your Facebooks, your very large companies, right? Um, but I, I can guarantee you, I have plenty of conversations with folks who represent people who are incarcerated, mm-hmm. right? Um, that is an interest group. Um, my idea of what an interest group is, uh, is a bit more expansive than I think the, the average voter might think that politicians think <laughs> their interest of an interest group is, right? And, and really, um, you know, I want to promote the idea that legislators should absolutely be talking to as many groups as possible of folks who will be who will be affected by the legislation that they intend to bring. Mm-hmm. And I will stand by the fact that that will bring out better legislation uh, every day, uh, up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the. I think the converse is the the kind of smoke-filled room, <laughs> back door, uh, well, hey, uh, John, you want this and and I want I want why, why don't we just switch, you'll get my vote for this and I'll give your vote for that and then boom, you got a bill, right? Um, y- you know, those are the things I think we want to try and, and tend to stay away from. Those are the, the transparency issues that people think about. Um, stakeholder engagement is, is hopefully where folks get excited and figure out how they can, they can get into the room. That's where those seats are open. Yeah. You know, um, this week we just had one of the worst things ever happening with the school shooting in Texas. Um, you know, I had a council meeting. It was the same day I was in tears during a council meeting and I've been on council for eight years and I've never broken down like that because um, I have young kids. And it doesn't matter if you have young kids. It's terrible. I mean, it's um, – but everyone gets – when that happens, starts talking about gun legislation. And I saw a, a staff member for former Congressman Don Young was talking about how everyone, when they're talking about gun legislation or the NRA, they're like, like oh, look, they contribute money. It's like that's not the problem. The problem is that they have all these members who make a lot of calls. Do you th- is that and they they are single minded and whether you agree with them or not they are active in uh, politics is that is that a dichotomy you see or um, an energy you see that's more effective even on state government that it's not so much the dollars that are spent on campaigns or whatnot it's the lobbying and citizen lobbying that's really making the impact. Yeah, you're hitting on a uh, a really important point here, Tony and. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning we'd be fast friends because, you know, it seems to me we, we have a lot of the similar thoughts. About, we are friends now. We became friends right, 10 minutes that's ago. That's right. That's right. Uh, you know, a lot of similar thoughts on, on how politics works. I'm, a, I'm actually a, a firm believer that um, in our country, although sometimes it, it doesn't feel that way, people drive the politics. Politicians mm-hmm. are a reflection of their constituency. It isn't money that your politicians want. What they want is your vote. And sometimes they find money to be a, a means to that end. But the end is, in fact, your vote. The mm-hmm. dollar is no good <laughs> if that dollar doesn't result in a vote for them, right? And so, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. The NRA could give a, a billion dollars uh, if, if folks made this a single voting issue. I'm sorry, you will not support uh, a reasonable gun 
safety legislation, we will vote you out of office. If that message was sent, I don't think it matter how much money the NRA had if it couldn't save their seat. They would go uh, the way of their constituents. And and I think you're talking a little bit about, you know, that that good old term, the, the vocal minority. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's about folks who who can um, who can make it very clear that they are going to vote folks out if, if they vote a certain way. And right now, the message a lot of Republicans are getting across the country is they're going to be voted out if they vote for sensible gun legislation. And, and we've got to change that message. Mm-hmm. We've got to change that message. And, and that doesn't take dollars. It takes that lobbying you're talking about. It takes phone calls. Uh, it takes emails. I think uh, a lot of people think that um, uh, their legislators aren't listening I used to work on the Hill. Trust me, senators are counting every call at the mm-hmm. end of the week <laughs> on every issue that they got into their office. And they're briefed on that. Mm-hmm. They know how many people called in, what they were calling about, what issues are important. They care. So those email campaigns, those phone campaigns, they work. Um, Tony, we've got to figure out how to get uh, as much as much. Uh, energy behind love and caring and common sense as we've got right now around guns and violence. Yeah. And obviously your state has a terrible, every state it seems has, has a terrible history with these shootings in general. But one thing when I was seeing that single minded focus that gun rights people groups have, and that's, they're allowed to have that. They're they're, uh, like, obviously we can all have different views, but you know, right now, liberal people, and I consider myself pretty progressive and liberal, whatever the terms are these days, um, it's like every day there's a different issue. And and I don't want to, you know, minimize those issues. You know, we're talking about um, trans rights, which are important, especially as they're they're being attacked in different states. We're talking about economic things, minimum wage, environment, um, all these different things. Do you think that sometimes that we as Democrats, progressives, etc., are not single-minded enough so our energy gets dispersed when there are these other issues that we want to get done. We can't focus long-term enough to get them done. Wow. Um, that's a really good question. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think that's the problem. Um, and I say that because this is part of the reason why I belong to this party, because we are thinking about these things, these mm-hmm. big issues, right? I, I almost don't want any of them put to the wayside. Yeah. We are, we're a generation and a half behind the climate change action we need, we actually need it to be taking, mm-hmm. okay? There's no room to let that issue sit on the back burner any longer. We've been ignoring that for entirely too long. We have, what? three guns to every man, woman, and child in this country, 233 shootings of this year in schools. We also have no more time to, to, to wait and put that issue on the side, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, leadership is hard. The mm-hmm. world is complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's why at least it's so important to me that we elect leaders who can acknowledge that fact and, and, and try and triage because that's what we need, right? I mean, we're talking about all these things and we haven't even left our country's shores mm-hmm. yet, right? Um, so, you know, I, 
I, no, I don't think so. I think Democrats are, are focusing on exactly what we need to be focusing on. And, and we just we need more. Mm-hmm. We need more help. We need more of us. We need more leadership. We need more. We need more umph. We need more excitement. We need more effort. Right. We just got to keep giving uh, in order to make the world a better place. Sadly, uh, you know, when you're out there fighting the good fight. It just never ends. Yeah. It doesn't, right? Like, that's just the fact of life. You know, MLK could be on this planet walking today and his job is not done. And that man did a crap ton, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I mean, I could be here in Nevada as a state senator for God knows how long and pass as many bills as I can. And I can only move the football so far. So, um, no, I, I want us to double down, triple down on our efforts. Uh, we have to. We absolutely have to. I just don't see any other way. Everything that that we care about, uh, we care about for a reason. And that's because it's a real issue. It's important. It affects people's lives. And uh, a lot of it's just been ignored for for way too long. Yeah, I was just talking with uh, Senator uh, Christine Mars from Arizona. And she is a teacher, teacher of the year. um, And she won a swing district. And she's like said, the reason she's going to keep running uh, in terms of running for office is because she needs to maintain that seat. And if a different, if it was a bluer seat, she'd give it to someone else. You know, like, we just need to win as many seats as possible. And also the reason that she's a runner in terms of running outside is both for her health and enjoyment, but also a distraction. You need to like de- decompress for the politically minded of us, not only the ones like you in office, how important is that de-stressing so that we're not just like constantly doom and gloom and like, wearing ourselves down do you do that as well is that do you think that's important for your colleagues uh it's critical right uh you know just for the folks out there it's self-care right that's Mm -hmm. not something that millennials made up or whatever generation you want to you want to blame for avocado toast it's self-care is a real thing and it's it's important i've never Uh, had avocado toast i don't think i've eaten it like once it was like all right this is fine neither i absolutely love avocados (laughs) and i love toast i'm just not interested in putting them together (laughs) um but (laughs) but however you do self-care yeah i think I, i think it's absolutely critical and and the reason is is because you know just as we were talking about these issues are so heavy Mm-hmm. And um, uh, kind of daunting when mm-hmm. you think about the tasks in front of all of us, right? And if you're going to be, uh, you know, as the phrase goes, in the arena, um, you, you need to take some time to to make sure that you are where you need to be um, mentally. I think just being an average citizen is pretty stressful uh, in 2022, right? Uh, COVID, getting your kids to school, uh, trying to figure out uh, daycare, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then going to work and paying your bills. And oh, and then you have the capacity to worry about other things like climate change and gun violence and, you know, whether we're equitably taxing folks and, you know, uh, it's absolutely essential, even if you aren't politically minded, uh, to keep yourself in the right mental health space. And, and I'm not sure that we as Americans do that very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I spread that gospel anywhere in any room, uh, political or not, you absolutely got to take care of yourself or uh, you can't really do much for others. Now, at the beginning of this, I did mention about how Nevada is the only state that has a majority female legislature, the first and the only, no other state's done it. Uh, and yet, 
I, I, you can check my math, but I believe there are more women in the country or than, than men and have been since forever. What I, I think it's so important. What is that impact and what kind of impact do you think it would have on other states? Not just uh, purplish states like Nevada, but red states and blue states if we had uh, if we elected female majorities. Well, um, I think the science is pretty clear that women as leaders tend to be a, a, a bit more deliberative, mm-hmm. uh, a bit more collaborative. And uh, if those are two things you want in a leader, uh, a female majority legislature just might suit your state just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a, a conservative versus liberal principle. I've, I've met plenty of conservative women. We have some who serve in the uh, legislature here in Nevada. But even to uh, everyone will acknowledge they tend to be the more reasonable, collaborative members of the other side. Uh, you know, I hear folks all the time just praying and begging for uh, politicians and, and, and uh, decision makers to be able to get together in a room and come together for the better of their state. And uh, uh, no shade to your sex, but I think women are just a little bit better at that. You know, what we get to is um, uh, not just women-focused policies, mm-hmm. right, um, but family-focused policies, yeah. uh, policies that, that tend to, to, to be better for everyone involved. Uh, you know, paid parental leave is, in fact, parental leave. Uh, we don't leave dads behind when we try and bring these bills uh, uh, to better our family structure. I know that's something conservatives can always get behind is, you know, strengthening our our family and uh, that individual unit. And that's something that, um, you know, our female legislatures focused on. We focused on keeping people safe. So here in Nevada, all that sensible guns legislation, we've done that. The red flag laws the Senate's talking about, we've done that. Mm-hmm. Safe storage laws, when you've got children in your house and you have a gun, we've done that. So, you know, we're, we're already uh, kind of showing the rest of the country what a, a majority female legislature can do. Now, that's a positive about a female legislature, a majority legislature. And I agree. I, I, I We have a female, a first woman mayor in our small borough, um, just elected last year, is very excited for. Um, we just... Uh, we were a 4-3 majority male to female, and now we just, some pers- someone resigned who was excellent, and now we appointed uh, Saba, who's a, so it makes a 4-3 in the other direction, which is great. Um, I'm excited for that. But one thing I think that's kind of a negative about your legislature and about a lot of legislatures is that it's a part-time legislature. And I talked with Edgar Flores about this, like we talked and said, um, and it seems like that can kind of, lead to a discrepancy in terms of who has the time to run and the energy energy because maybe they're more ideological or maybe their interests are different than if you had the time to do it. What kind of impact do you see um, on that in terms of who ends up being in office because they they can? So uh, we are one of four states that has the um, every other year legislature. So not only are we part-time, we only meet in odd-numbered years Mm -hmm. uh, for 120 days. So for the folks 
uh, out there listening, all, all 12, is, <laughs> as you mentioned. It might be 14 this time. I don't okay, know. All, all 14. They, uh, you know, close your eyes and imagine that you are about to hire uh, someone and the applications come in and you're down to two. Right. They're both equally qualified for this position that you need. You like them both. You think they'll fit into the company culture just fine. The only difference is one of them is guaranteed to be gone for four months every other year. Which one are you going to hire? Right. Probably the person who you don't have to cover for for 120 days every other year reliably. 120 days every other year, not to mention special sessions that may come up in between or or interim committees that they have to serve on when mm-hmm. the legislature is not actually officially in session uh, or if two people are up for a promotion. Right. You're, you're clearly going to promote the other person. And so I bring that up to to. Uh, highlight your your question. You know, if you're in a part time legislature, you've got to have a job uh, where you've either got a lot of flexibility, uh, you're probably not so much responsibility that uh, the place falls apart when you leave because you're going to be gone, uh, or you have to be retired, mm-hmm. independently wealthy, or maybe own your own business. Uh, we've got some lawyers. Uh, uh, um, Assemblyman Flores is a lawyer. He owns his own firm, so he's got a little bit of flexibility there. Uh, or you just can't serve, or it's just not feasible for you. Uh, because not only is our legislature part-time, the pay is even less than mm-hmm. part-time. Uh, you know, we're not getting paid when we're not in session. We only get paid our salary for half of the 120 days, only the first 60. Uh, and so for a lot of people, they simply can't afford to be away from work, to move seven hours away by drive to Carson City for 120 days to be away from their family every other year. And and so, like I said, you you don't end up actually getting the folks that I think our original constitution, Nevada constitution drafters hoped for, Mm -hmm. right? They wanted, they wanted the average Nevadan uh, to be able to to serve. And and I think that's great, but that's not what we're getting. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, this was when, when we had uh, ranchers and, and farmers and, uh, and, and people who worked in the mines as our kind of big industry, you know? And, and so, uh, the times have changed a little bit. Nevada's got over 3 million people in this state. Uh, and, and in order for us as a legislature to do an effective job for them, uh, I think the model has to change. Yeah. And I think it's not just those four states, like you mentioned, but lots of states, there is either part-time or low pay and it's a professional job. And I think politics gets such a bad rap sometimes fairly, but more often unfairly. And if you want professionals doing it, you got to treat them like professionals. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, we make that argument with teachers and police officers all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you want some, you want some professionals, you got to pay them and, and treat them as such. Mm-hmm. And I, I also think part of the problem here, Tony, is is uh, there's an education issue. Mm-hmm. Most Nevadans don't know 
how long we're necessarily in session or what we make. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, do a do a survey. They might come back with a number like a hundred thousand dollars. You know, which is a little bit closer to what legislators in California make okay. or what your congressional delegation might make. You know, doing their their full time thing. So we got to get the word out. Well, you talked about um, effectiveness, and obviously you and your majority in Nevada with your governor, you've been able to be effective at a number of things. Uh, and a few years ago, you may not have expected to be in office. What is there anything you have uh, helped pass or you're working on that you can feel like, look, if tomorrow I can't be a legislator anymore or I got some other job or moved to New Zealand, um, which I know you're thinking of doing, Um <laughs> What would you hang your hat on if you had a hat, like to say, like, these are the things I'm really excited that we're able to do? You know, um, that's a really simple question. Oh, good. For me, okay. anyway. <laughs> um, it, and it, it may not be the most profound, uh, but for me, I am actually happy just having been a state senator. Mm-hmm. Um my greatest accomplishment may just be being in the room. I, I It could quite possibly be that the most impact I have is young children who look like me or love like me or who relate to me in almost any other way, seeing me on the dais or, you know, on, on the mm-hmm. screen in a, in a committee hearing with the audacity to ask a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I truly think that that I'm hoping, you know, actually that that might be uh, the biggest impact of me being there is convincing a bunch of other folks that that they can be there, too. Uh, You know, it's a ripple effect. Right. You you throw a stone in and I'm just hoping that I can I can create some waves that I'm not even going to know about, you know, Mm -hmm. in in my life and and beyond and beyond my lifetime. And I don't get me wrong. I've plastered plenty of legislation uh, that I'm very proud of. Last session, I, I think um, I personally sponsored and passed uh, 13 of my own bills, which was more than any state senator. So, you know, I do, I do plenty of legislating. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the criminal justice reform I've done, uh, you know, and even smaller things that I've done for folks who are on workers' compensation. Um, but uh, representation matters. Yeah. So uh, that that may be my my legacy, and I would I would be just fine with that. Hey, look, as a straight white male, age eighteen to forty five, I agree with you that that's because there are plenty of people who look like me in all levels of power, and um, you know I think that diversity is more important in politics than it is in any other industry because d- democracy is supposed to be democratic in a small d way. Yeah, that's right. You know, I mean. You just got to, it reminds me of this, um, uh, I don't, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was, it was an article or, or something like that. And what they did is they, they took, they went to, you know, they're here in America and, and it said, you know, Hey, pull up America. And I'll, I'll invite anybody who's listening to do this as well. Pull up your Google and, and, and put in like beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I'm pretty sure Tony, you can guess what the results are going to look like. Mm-hmm. In, in a Google search here in the United States, okay, it, it's not gonna it's not gonna look like me, <laughs> um, and, and so I'm hoping 
that by serving, by encouraging other folks to serve, we can change what it looks like when you Google leadership. When it, when it, you know, when it, what it looks like when you Google leader, uh, decision maker, that there are, are more people who look like, uh, um, you know, the, the diverse, um, wonderful melting pot uh, that we call our country. Yeah, you know, I just did Google it, and I did get actually a more diversity than I expected. I was surprised. I expected. I, I am happy to hear that, man. And and maybe over time, uh, Google's gotten <laughs> Google's gotten a little better. But I, you know, I I haven't done it recently, but I'm pretty sure there's there's quite a few uh, blonde people, straight hair, uh, you know. Oh yeah. Eyes. And I look. <laughs> I. I, I've always been surprised that like hair color is something that, that that is that important when it comes to beauty standards. Like, I can't look. I've been married for twelve years. I can't always remember what color my wife's hair is. I know it's not blonde, but if the, like if someone's like, is it black or brown? I was like, oh, it's one of those. I, like, I I don't have it, so I don't think about it. You know, it, it's just we've all been we've all been kind of brainwashed, right. right? You know, we all just are products of our societies and the messages that we get. What do our Disney princesses look like? I mean, they look a little. You know, we got a, mm -hmm. a few Disney princesses of color now, but you know, small, small things like that give us signals over time about what beauty is and what it should be. Um, so I'm glad to see that it's changing, and and you know that takes the intentional work. Of, of folks to to really move the needle on on things like that. Now, what that does remind me, one thing I do want to make sure to ask before I finish here is, um, you've been somewhat politically engaged one way or another since the mid two thousands, right? Like the two thousand before President Obama uh, became president. And uh, there's a lot of people who are frustrated online, especially younger people. Are like, wow, Barack Obama, he had a sixty a fifty nine vote in the Senate, sixty votes. Um, when there were these big Democratic majorities, why didn't they change things? Um, you are a different Democrat that would have been elected 20 years ago, in, including in Nevada or any other state, right? Have you seen the party change, and does that make you hopeful for what not only the Democratic Party can do, but hopefully what the country can do? And not about President Obama, just about politics in general. Do you see a hopeful change that's happened in the last you know, few years? Um, I can say this with confidence, the Overton window is shifting mm -hmm. on a lot of issues, right? Including, uh, uh student debt cancellation, uh, uh, police reform. I think president Biden just yesterday signed an executive order, uh, on policing, you know, which says to me, he kind of got sick of, of waiting for Congress. Um, I will say I think Biden surprised me uh, in, in what he's done. He's been pleasantly progressive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and so that's a change. What isn't a change is, is our parties need to put Joe Biden up in the first place, right? <laughs> I think our, our, our choice of him as a nominee um, was very very clearly still a nod back to uh, that kind of moderate politics. Well, we've got to bring the, the, the middle uh, conservatives along um, a, a, a fear of Democrats of their base. 
mm-hmm. where sometimes the other side they they run up to their base and they're they're hugging it and you know I mean Republicans are they they love their base they fear their base mm-hmm. uh, uh, in a, in a in a way that makes them want to cater to them we fear our base in a way that we don't want to get cozy with them mm-hmm. <laughs> right and I find that to be a bit unfortunate because I clearly think our base wants to do good things and their base right. <laughs> wants to do very bad things. So I, I really think the world will be better if we just switched it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we should be embracing our base and trying to get more people health care for free and not be afraid to say that. Or, you know, I mean, that would be, um, that'd be great. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm happy to see that Joe Biden, although he was still that kind of moderate choice is in fact, governing from a, a place um, that that I think is a little further left than I thought he would be. So uh, that Overton window is is moving. It's moving pretty quickly. We might catch up to Bernie Sanders in my lifetime. Maybe one day the whole party will will be where where he sits currently. Um, but we've caught up to him, I think, on a lot of issues. And I don't I don't use Bernie Sanders just as um, a, a person in himself, but just as an anchor on, mm. on a few issues, right? Uh, and the party's clearly moving in, in that direction, and I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to see that. Yeah, I remember. I still remember being a teenager, early twenties, and watching a show about because George W. Bush was president, I believe. Or I, I and I remember this news channel where they went to a wedding, and they're like, "Why would you, as a uh, this woman, why would you oppose marriage equality?" And she gave answers that at the time were that was the normal position and it was like the news was presenting this not as a bigoted crazy position but as the norm and now if you went it would be like that woman is crazy and i don't mean to say that lightly but now you wouldn't be profiling that in that same way no and that's that's a good thing yeah um but i'll i'll tell you what i will never i will never forget that it was Bill Clinton who signed Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Mm -hmm. And although I was not very politically aware, um, you know, I was old enough to know that it was an attempt at being helpful that I think actually ended up being harmful. It's a lesson to me to not moderate on rights. Right. (laughs) You know, that's one thing I just won't do. There's this uh, George Carlin special on HBO right now, and it's it's really good. And I think I feel frustrated by some conservative people I know who love to quote George Carlin. I was like, "Did you watch more than two minutes of him?" Type of thing. Um, but W. Kima Bell was on. He goes at one point George Carlin flipped and decided, "Who do I want to be funny for?" It's kind of like what you're saying about the base of either party. Like, who do you want to be governing for? Whose acceptance are you looking for? And sometimes that might mean losing, but you know. What what are you losing if you're governing for the wrong kind of loud voices out there? Yeah, and you know the again, this is why I I'm aligned with with this particular party. It, the great thing about being a Democrat is I feel like I can govern for uh, my base, but also but but do well for every person that I represent, right? <laughs> right. There is no question to me that the policies that I advocate for benefits everyone, mm-hmm. even those who don't agree with me politically. 
right? Right. You know, I, I never have to choose between helping my base and helping everyone because mm-hmm. I like to believe anyway that, um, you know, deep down in my core, my political beliefs are about helping everyone, are about policies that are going to, um, you know, make every Nevadan safer, healthier, uh, have a better quality of life. And that makes my job a lot easier. Yeah, I have some. Our our borough went for Joe Biden by close to seventy percent or sixty some percent, and but I do have some very Trump supporting fans. And if we got universal health care or child care, that would help them too. Like that's not about one thing or another. Tony, there is not one American, not one who enjoys calling up their insurance company after they get that explanation of benefits and then the bill from their, from their doctor and, and trying to, trying to figure out why they owe, you know, thousands of dollars, um, after they were given an estimate, right? No, (laughs) how absurd is it that you can't even get a, a straight number ahead of time about how much a procedure is going to cost or even a standard doctor, visit, mm-hmm. right? Like there's not one, one American who enjoys trying to figure out what's going on with their insurance, fighting with their insurance company to cover things that should have been covered or that they were told were going to be covered or fighting with their insurance company because they had to take their kid to the emergency room. And this was the closest one. And the doctor who treated them is out of network and they haven't met their out of pocket deductible and blah, 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 blah. Right. Uh, it, it's so clear to me that we could be doing better. Other countries do it. Every other country uh, does it better than we do. Every other developed country anyway, does it better than we do. Um, and uh, clearly whether, whether they vote democratic or Republican, uh, they would be benefiting from a, a simpler system that covers more and you, you got to pay less out of pocket right there at the point of service. Right. So things can get done. You've gotten a lot of things done. It's 2022. Some people are feeling really nervous, scared, sad, like lots of negative feelings. Uh, whether it's this year, or next year, or the year after, why would you encourage the next Dallas Harris or the next person, whomever, that they should not just send in a phone call or an email, but why should people consider running for office? Our democracy depends on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I can't be more blunt than that. And, and I'm not being hyperbolic either. Our democracy quite literally depends on, on citizen participation at every level, local, state, federal, Civil participation is not just voting. It also means running. It also means serving. Think about running as a public service. It is. Okay. I work for the people of Nevada. Uh, my, my measly little salary check that I get, it comes from the state of Nevada. If you are publicly uh, uh, public service inclined, this is an avenue for you. Right. It's not just the military. It's not just serving in civil service. It's not just the Peace Corps. Being a, 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 a politician <laughs> uh, can be a form of public service if you do it right. And all you got to do is just do it to serve the public. You know, it, it's that simple. Well, I'm glad you decided to stick with it and make a difference and that you're in the room, like you said, Um if people are interested in following you, if they want to learn more, maybe inspired, hopefully they're inspired, where would you encourage people to go to follow and, and uh, get in touch? 
You can follow me on Twitter at Dallas Harris NV. I don't tweet as much as I'd like, but uh, occasionally I, I've got some good stuff. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Senator Dallas Harris. Um, you can also take a look at my website, Dallas Harris for Nevada.com. Um, all of my contact information is out there. Nevada is a small state, so we make sure um, anybody can email us or, or give us a call. So uh, my contact information is out there. Uh, and I'm happy to hear from anybody who, who wants to talk or learn more. Uh, my uh, proverbial door is open. Great. Well, I know it's open. I know the first thing that Senator Harris did this morning was talk to me and share why you should run for office. So if you're listening, I hope you'll share, subscribe, and listen, and uh, maybe you should run for office too. Thank you so much, and best of luck in Nevada. Thanks, Tony.